This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. We're so excited to introduce you to Great Jones. Great Jones makes high-quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that's so stunning, you won't want to put it away. They have everything from Dutch ovens to ceramic dishes to non-stick sheet pans. They've got everything you want. I have the Saucy, which is a terrific saucepan. It has curved sides. It has a pouring spout. It has a lid. And it looks so elegant. It's really a pleasure just to look at it on the counter, even before we're using it. Yes, I love all the colors. Yeah. They make stunning gifts that are actually useful. Weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays. It's the perfect gift for the foodie in your life. So upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code HAPPIER. That's greatjones.com, promo code HAPPIER. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you should ask for a favor and the distinction between cooperation and competition. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, and I am never shy about asking her for favors. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and Gretch, I have to say, I'm still basking in the afterglow of our live podcast event. I know, it was so much fun fun it really was and the audience was just so kind they laughed at it you know in all the right places which i really appreciated well you were like being a stand-up comic I, you were like flinging Hardly. out the jokes but yes no it's good when some when they're all laughing along it makes you feel like you're you're killing it so that was great we have to do that again yeah no it was so fun to be doing it with people who are actually listening it really transformed the experience yeah, it was it was uh, it, it was really a night I will always remember. But I have to say, when I listen back to it, a lot of it I I didn't remember until I listened to it again. It was like it, it was so intense that it almost didn't register in my mind. Um, then I was like, oh, yeah, it was yeah. a surreal blur. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. I'm like now I remember that. Now I remember that. So that was great. Yeah, no. So we'll have to do it again. Absolutely. Um, the other thing, Gretch, I have to just bring up before we dive in is, so the whole um, recent episode, we were talking about control your exit. Oh, yeah. And I brought up this notion that French people serve orange juice when they want people to leave a party. Uh-huh. And, no, I've seen this on the internet. I looked it up, and it is mentioned in several articles <laughs> that this happens, but we keep hearing from French people and people who live in France that they've never seen this. So I don't know, like, if it's just something in, a, you know, some parts of France or maybe it's an old tradition, but I swear I did not make that up out of nowhere. I know, even even though the actual people in France say 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So if, if you're French and you do do it, we would like to hear from you um, because yes. it, it is something you can look up. Um, but speaking of control your exit, there was also Amanda from Villanova sent in this fun fact about controlling your exit. She says, as you probably know, pineapples have been a symbol of hospitality since the colonial era. You may not also know that pineapples were used to cue exits by hostesses. I learned about this while touring the Wrigley Mansion in Phoenix, Arizona. My tour guide explained that during the roaring 1920s house parties, hostesses would often flip a pineapple, real or decor, upside down when it was time for guests to leave. The Wrigley Mansion is filled with pineapple motifs, but curiously, some are incorporated horizontally on their side, most notably on the railings in front of the house. The Wrigleys were in a constant state of hosting parties since they owned the gorgeous Biltmore Hotel. Uh, Famous folks were coming over for parties all the time, but they never wanted guests to get too comfortable in their home, instead preferring them to use the nearby Biltmore Hotel. So Mm. instead of bothering to keep a pineapple right side up and then flip it over, they incorporated these horizontal pineapples into their home design, signaling guests that it was never okay to get too comfortable. (laughs) Okay, so that's definitely they were into controlling the exit. Yes, yes. Um, but flip I love a pineapple. If you don't want to serve orange juice, flip a pineapple. Yes, it's a whole new, a whole new hostess trick. I love that. So now, as I try this on a home tip this week, is to ask for a favor, and a line that you often see attributed to Benjamin Franklin, um, though it may be apocryphal. I didn't actually track it down. To Benjamin Franklin is, if you want to make a friend, let someone do you a favor. Now, do you think that sounds counterintuitive or not counterintuitive? I think it does sound counterintuitive. I think it's like people think, oh, if you ask someone for something, they don't like it. But I do think if you think about it in practice, uh, it's true. Well, one of the things is we have this very powerful instinct for reciprocity. And so if you do something for me, I'm going to do something for you. And so asking someone for a favor is kind of a signal. I trust you enough that I'm willing to be in your debt. And then you can call in that favor and that's okay because we're in a relationship where we're in that state where it's okay for us to be swapping favors back and forth. So it's, it's a, it's, so it's a sign of trust. That makes sense. I mean, it's true. Like I'm just thinking, um, in my business, you know, people ask for favors all the time. It's almost sort of just, it's part of the whole workings of the business. I mean, that's probably true in every business. I don't know. But once someone has sort of said, hey, will you go out for coffee with me and let me pick your brain? Then you have this automatic feeling of responsibility toward them. And you, I, I always tend to then sort of have my ears open and try to help them just because they've asked me to help them. Even if they haven't directly asked me to help like find a job, I'm still more apt to help find someone a job if they've asked me for some other favor. But I have to say sometimes people do exploit that because I've definitely had the feeling that somebody asked me for a favor and and you can just practically read their minds being like now she's going to become invested in my success and so I'm going to ask her for more and more and she's going to like you know so it's like this fine line where you want to show that intimacy but you don't want to make people feel like you're somehow gaming them or taking advantage of this in some way to manipulate them yeah well and I don't think you should ever ask for a favor if you know it's putting the person in a really uncomfortable position I mean unless it's a matter of life and death like you know your your child needs a certain doctor or something I mean it just feels like you should not think like oh my gosh this person now is going to have to you know 
call the ex-boyfriend who they never yeah. wanted to speak <laughs> to again, you know? Exactly. Like, like have it be something reasonable. Um, because the other thing is, if someone feels exploited, then they can really... It can go the other way and they can sort of, they can hate you. Yeah. But, but it is funny how often, like, it does make you feel kinder and night and, and you feel like the person likes you. And one of the things that makes us like other people is the feeling that they like us, you know? And I remember a friend telling me that she worked with a guy and she never liked him. And then they were down in the like office cafeteria and he came up to her and he's like, Hey, you know what? I got about, I got, I need to borrow 30 bucks. Do you have 30 bucks? Mm. And she was like, okay. Yeah. And she gave him the $30. And then she's like, he must really like me because if he didn't like me, he would definitely not feel like he was entitled to come up and just demand nice. money. And if he likes me, well, you know what? Maybe I do like him. And she said, really from then on, they became friends, and it was because he had done that. That Yeah, it's like this implied intimacy, I guess. It's kind of nice that human nature is such that helping someone actually makes you like them more. No, it's like one of the nicest things about human nature. But one thing I would say about when that I often remember when I'm asking for a favor um, is that I never, I think you're always better off not downplaying the favor. Like a friend of mine once uh, emailed me and the headline, the subject line was quick favor. Well, it wasn't a quick favor. It was a complicated favor. I was glad to do it for her because she was a good friend and it was something within my power to do and it was important to her. So I was glad to do it. But I sort of felt, maybe this is my upholder side where I like really want mm -hmm. my gold star. I kind of feel like, well, if you want me to do it because it's a quick favor, it's not a quick favor. If you want me to do it because it's an important favor, I'm happy to do it for you. But I almost felt like she was... In trying to make it seem easy, she was um, kind of disparaging my contribution in a way. Um, and so I think it's always better to sort of say, like, huge favor or, like, if this is a big pain, please say no. Or, you know, so that people feel free to say no. Because then when they say yes, they feel like, oh, this is great. I, I was happy to do it for you. Um, but they don't feel, like, uh, unreasonable if they say no. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of something Nir was talking about in our live show last week, which is if you ask for a favor, but sort of say, but only if you want to do it, people will be more likely to do it rather than feeling put on the spot like they have to do it. Right, because they feel like they're being given a choice. Because when, if you can choose to be gracious and friendly and helpful, it feels good. You know, I, I mean, I feel like it always makes me happy to see people doing good deeds, but it makes me especially happy if I'm the one doing the good deed, you know, and that's part of, I think, why asking for a favor um, helps build relationships, too. Yeah, and you are particularly good at giving favors. I feel like you're, you really go out of your way for people. Oh, that's nice. Well, I feel like you're the same way. Oh, thanks, Gretch. <laughs> um, the other thing I will say, though, for the favor givers out there is that it is important to be able to say no. Like, you can't do every favor. And I think some people feel tortured by having to say no to things. Um, and I just, like, you just can't do everything for everyone. And if you try to, you could end up, you know, just really being sort of resentful and worn down. You know, I have a friend who had this issue. And what she did is... Because often it was favors involving her time or like getting her to go someplace or go to a meeting or whatever. And so she would say, like, I would love to do that. Let me just check my calendar. Because that way she gave herself like a pause because she said uh. her instinct was to say yes right away. And this way she felt like she could kind of collect herself. And, and, and if she wanted to say no, gear herself up and like be doing it by email instead of face to face. And so that was her. That was one of the ways that she made sure that she wasn't overwhelmed by people who were trying to get her to, you know, give her time to different things.
The other thing I do is if someone asks me for a favor, I always tell them to follow up. If I say yes, I say, but follow up with me and sort of nag me about it and make sure I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. So that I, it's not totally on me to remember, like if it's writing, a, sometimes writing an email recommendation for someone or, you know, what, reading their script or whatever it is. I'm like, just keep on me about it because, uh, you know, I may not do it unless prompted several times. <laughs> so let us know if you make a new friend by asking a favor and, and what was the favor you asked for and how did it all play out? Um, we'd love to hear about it, whether on Twitter or Facebook, email at podcast at com. Um, or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode, happiercast.com slash 50 for everything you need to know and to comment. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So listen, here's a question to help you know yourself better. Do you prefer to compete or to cooperate? I'm definitely, I think, a cooperator. I... um well, I work with Sarah, my writing partner, which is sort of, I mean, that involves a lot of cooperation. It's kind of the essence of the relationship is, you know, well, what's the difference between cooperation and collaboration? Well, see, I think that's a very interesting question. Like, is that is that a matter of creativity? Collaboration is about creativity. Cooperation is about working with other people to get a, to get to a goal. I feel like I'm the same as you. I'm a cooperator, but I'm, but but you could be very competitive. You could, you and Sarah can be competitive together. You cooperate together and then you're out there fighting for your team. But the thing for me is that when things are set up explicitly to be competitive, that turns me off. And why is that? Well, I, I think it's because I'm actually extremely competitive and I hate to lose, but I don't like to be fighting for it. And so I don't want to do it. So I just want to, like, I don't even like playing board games because I super want to win uh -huh. <laughs> I, um, or like gin, you know, because it's like, uh, I don't want to do all the thinking that I have to do to win, but I do want to win. <laughs> it's a different funny. vibe. Yeah. I mean, you're right, though, about I think you can be cooperative and competitive because like you said, I mean, Sarah and I feel like we're very competitive in terms of, you know, wanting to do well in our career and being ambitious um, I think it's easier to be competitive when you have a partner because you can strategize together and, you know, lift each other up and be there if, the, if you know, you fall and all of that. I also find, I don't know if it's a Midwestern thing, 
but being competitive can feel sort of impolite mm. like oh i don't want to like say if you're playing a board game even just not wanting to be too aggressive uh, and overtly aggressive. So that's one reason I like having uh, a writing partners. I feel like we can sort of do that for each other. Uh huh. Um, you know, and it's just, I don't know. I don't know if I would do that if I were just on my own. But maybe the thing is that for some people, when there's a competitive edge to it, something becomes more fun. And that for some people, when there's a competitive edge to it, it does not become more fun. And, and one way this comes up a lot, I've noticed, is in healthcare. And so a lot of times, you know, like a company wants to inspire its employees to get into shape or, you know, start exercising regularly or eat more healthfully or something. And so they organize these teams and maybe it's like one office versus another office or whatever. And we're all going to compete and see who can get the most done or lose the most weight or go to the gym the most times or like, you know, how many people can they get to sign up to run the 5K? And for me, and clearly that works for some people and some people are much more fired up when there's this competitive side and they're really into it and it's fun. But for me, the minute that becomes an aspect of it, I don't want to do it. And maybe that's because like, I don't want to get into it and then risk letting somebody down or I don't want to set a goal and then not meet it or whatever. But for me, that's actually a turnoff. Yeah. I mean, it's what I heard about two shows actually who had a competition to see who could like they got put treadmills in the writer's room and it was like who can log more hours or miles on the treadmill, uh, you know, within whatever period of time. And they got so into it and it was just like someone always had to be on the treadmill. <laughs> um and I think if for some people, it was really fun. And I think for other people, it really stressed them out. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and it's just that office thing. We always talk about you have different types and it, you've got to sort of think about everybody because you don't want someone completely going off the rails because of, you know, the contest that that's going on. No, and I mean, I remember in high school because like we would have these school field hockey games and one of my friends, Missy, who was like the super great athlete and really yes. competitive, yeah. like she almost started crying one time because she felt like our team like didn't have enough fighting spirit. And I was really like, you simply cannot be serious <laughs> you're taking yeah. that you actually like care um and i you know so it was really deeply annoying for her because she enjoyed that competition and then the fact that other people didn't have that same spirit was like really like took away the enjoyment for for it so maybe part of it is like to identify what works for you like when i i do strength training well, we both do inform fitness where we do the the hardcore yeah. strength training and i never look at the weights because i'm like i don't i don't want to get competitive with myself and every time think like i want to do heavier heavier cuz i'll make myself crazy it's like i don't want to look to that end i don't want to do heavier of that i'm like always <laughs> wanting to stay where i am and have it get easier and unfortunately that's not how it works yeah um but yeah on the field hockey team i was the person you know wandering around <laughs> you know as a fullback not even knowing where the ball was or if it's even a ball is it a puck i don't know what it is but I definitely did not get the uh, sports competition gene, you know, and I have like, it just isn't there. Yeah. Well, so maybe this is why it works as a know yourself better question, because it's like, know yourself and think like, well, is this an aspect of something that would make it more fun for me? And therefore, can I put myself in situations where I can bring a competitive spirit to something that I'm working like, whether it's exercise or, 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 you know, learning Italian or whatever it might be. Or if I don't like that, can I make sure that I don't set up cir circumstances so that this competition becomes an element that's going to turn me off? So, you know, maybe all of us are a little mix of 
enjoying cooperation and competition. Um, but it's, it's good if you want to know yourself better, which one suits you more and how you can set up circumstances so that they're going to fit your personality better. So, Lisa, should we tackle a listener question? Yes, let's do. So remember, um, before we get to the question, if you want to leave a question, uh, call us at 774-277-9336. That's 77-HAPPY-336. And Gretch, this week we have an email question from Fiona. She says, I was wondering if I could ask your advice with regard to cutting out interesting articles from the paper. What should I do with these? I also cut out innumerable recipes, which are left in a pile. And of course, I tend to make the same five meals all the time. (laughs) How do I store and then easily access this information? You're probably thinking, why am I cutting out articles when I can look at them online? Sometimes I can, but even then, what do I do? I tend to email the link to myself with a note in the subject, which will enable me to find this article easily again. Not terribly efficient, but the best method I've come up with. Sometimes I don't have online access, so it is a paper article I would like to keep. How do I keep this? Well, first of all, I'm wondering if she's a questioner, because one thing that I noticed about questioners is they tend to like clip articles a lot and like be like be very interested in kind of keeping uh. keeping information resources. So that would be sort of sort of be an interesting follow up question if we could grill Fiona right here. Um, But I think we all feel this way. There's like so much great information that that this idea of how do you catalog or bookmark or or, you know, keep it from overwhelming you and yet being accessible is really frustrating. Yeah, I remember this made me think of I think it was mom who did this um, because the New Yorker magazine, you know, has so many great articles. But I think everybody just like has a pile of New Yorkers (laughs) that they intend to read by their bed. So I think it was mom who started tearing out articles that she wanted to read and stapling them and then taking them uh, uh, when she went away. Ah. So reading them on planes or, you know, when traveling and then you could just throw them away. Yeah. My my husband's ex-boss, Jamie's ex-boss used to do that. Um, I just have this giant pile of sort of reading periodical reading material. And then when she was on a plane, she would just like go through it. And, and, and so by the time you landed, you know, your briefcase would be empty. Yeah, and that doesn't work with recipes, obviously, but it does work with articles. So that's one advice, uh, piece of advice I would tell Fiona to do with the articles is just put them in a place uh, in a file and then take them when you travel. And then the key is to throw them away when you're done reading them, of course. But then also, I think a lot of people scan. I just got a scanner like six months ago, and it's like the most amazing thing. I have to fight the temptation to like scan every piece of, <laughs> uh, of paper in my house because it's like you can have everything like on your computer and and so she might think that a scanner would help because then it, she she doesn't have to worry about the hard copy thing it can just be kept and i have to say i don't know anything about evernote because again i feel like my desire to catalog and keep information would become overwhelming and i would just spend my whole life like lost in this labyrinth of my own note taking which is kind of a problem for me anyway I wish listeners would send us their suggestions because I feel like there's probably a lot of really cool, ingenious things that you and I have not dreamed of. Yeah, I, I would just say if she's keeping paper articles, though, another thing would be maybe to, and I know I hate to add files to anything, but, you know, if she had four files for recipes and it was like, you know, 
desserts, you know, meats, vegetables or something. And then she could easily rifle through because it's true. There's no point in taking them, tearing them out and keeping them if you're never going to use them. Well, and, and to that, I would add two points. One is never make a file that's labeled miscellaneous because uh, that, <laughs> that is a few of those. That, that is not helpful. Maybe I learned that from you. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and the other is like, don't like keeping this kind of thing can become an aspect of the fantasy self, you know, pursuing the fantasy self. So if you're keeping the recipes because you, your fantasy self cooks all these, you know, very ambitious dishes, but your real self is not interested in doing that and wants to make the same type of things. Now, maybe you really do want to push yourself and cook differently, but maybe this is just fantasy self. And, and I would always say to really bring it back, be Fiona, um, don't feel like you have to do this if it's not the right thing for you, because you can spend a lot of time clipping articles, scanning articles, filing articles, and then never cooking any of them. And so just like free yourself from this burden if it's not right for you, because sometimes I find when I'm doing a task like that, that sort of doesn't seem very fruitful. It's because it's something that I really had no intention of doing anyway. You know, it's like a friend of mine who keeps buying yarn because she thinks she's yeah. going to knit, but she never knits. I'm like, okay, you got to start stop going to the yarn store because more yarn is not making you knit more. It's just a fantasy of a life that is not actually the life you lead. Or you could just accept she likes buying yarn and she's never going to knit, but it makes her feel good to buy it. A hundred percent. And then just be okay with that. A hundred percent. No, and just say, I get a certain, I get a pleasure. I mean, it's like people read cookbooks. A lot of people love to read cookbooks who never intend to cook. It's just a pleasure on its own. That's, that is a great point. It's totally legitimate. If you just get pleasure out of it and you want to just keep them and, and have them, that's fine. Just as long as they don't make you feel guilty, because there's nothing worse than like feeling like, oh, every time I see that pile, I get a feeling in my stomach. I've let myself down. Why didn't I do it? I've got to do it. But if it's just fun, then absolutely. That's that's true. So anyway, I hope I want to hear from listeners about how they tackle this, how they view this issue, because I think that this idea of wanting to collect and access information in a convenient, accessible, not overwhelming way is something that like whether it's recipes or home decor ideas or book ideas, um, which is a thing a lot of writer friends battle with. Um, I think it's something that a lot of people feel. Yeah. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. Okay, Gretch, it's time for a happiness demerit, and you are up. What is your demerit this week? Okay, I get a parenting demerit. Um, mm. Okay, so my daughter Eliza is 16 years old, 
And this has to do with ear piercing. I think there's a generational thing going on here. So she has the traditional piercing of the earlobe. And then last year, <laughs> um, like during exams, she so desperately wanted to get her ear pierced like up at the top, you know, in the cartilage up at the top of the ear that I said, okay, fine, you can do that. But like, that's my limit. Okay. Like that we're going to mm-hmm. stop there. Piercings, nose rings, belly, you know, tattoos, all that. Like you're done. And she's like, okay, fine. So she got that. And, uh, and I got used to that. Okay, fine. And then, you know, she started working on me and Jamie again. So she wanted more piercings. Okay. And so Jamie and, and I did this. What did she want? Okay. Well, first, we didn't even know because I, we just we refused to talk to her. We completely stonewalled her. So I would say, you got to talk to daddy. And he would say, you got to talk to your mom. And then we just went back and forth for months. And she got super, super annoyed with us. And finally, it kind of came to a head. You may have overheard this because it was at Christmas vacation. And we I were, heard a little bit. <laughs> <of it. Yeah. laughs> if you were standing outside the, the bedroom door. Um, and she was just very frustrated. She felt like we were not listening to her. We were not dealing with her in a forthright way. We were giving her the runaround. It was not, you know... It was not respectful, whatever. And we admitted, yes, this was a deliberate policy on our point, our part to just delay. So what she wanted was to pierce her, uh, like to have another piercing next to the ones on her earlobe. So now she wanted to have, you know, one in the usual place and then one a little bit above it. And we talked about it and Jamie and I talked about it and, you know, and uh, we finally decided that it was okay because, you know, it's not permanent. It was like not in a, you know, unusual place um i felt like and she it was so 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 important to her i thought this was one of these this is one of these hard things with parenting where you're like how do i even think this through how do i how do i think about my values how do i think about you know her need for her own independence make her own judgment you know how do we work as a team how do we be consistent blah 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 anyway well gretch didn't you have three piercings in your ear Yes, I did not. School? I did not tell her that, but I did. Oh. I had like I had I had them in the traditional place, and then two above it, and yeah. then and then I grew in, and now I never have them there. So okay, fine, yeah. Uh, and that was part of it too, which is like this is part of being that age, and you want to have these things, and it doesn't, you know. She's basically such a good girl, and it, but and it was really important to her, and you know, uh, but it's funny because now Eliza has her own podcast, Eliza starting at sixteen, um, and so if you want to hear Eliza's version of how yes. this all went down, the kind of he said she said. Um, uh, in episode six, she talks about it. And um, and what I learned from hearing her talk about it on her podcast is that it really was truly important to her for reasons that I can't even really remember what it was like to be a teenager. It really, really, really mattered a lot to her. And in the end, it wasn't that, you know, it, it was not something that, like, was a problem with our family values. And so I finally said she could. And, Jamie and so is the demerit that you waited so long or that you wouldn't actually talk to her about it? Because I think that's what she was so frustrated about. The demer- no one would have the conversation. The demerit was that we just that we just made her unnecessarily frustrated and felt ignored uh-huh. and and um, and just uh, like that we weren't taking her seriously. We weren't listening to her. And I think so. I think the whole thing got built up to be much bigger than it had to be. And there was like a, a lot of. Uh, you know, instead of just sort of saying, like, let's sit down and talk about this when you because I know it was I knew it was really important to her. And I was just I just didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to have that hard debate in my own mind, like how, you know, what does this mean? Blah, blah, blah. 
I just didn't feel like thinking about it. So I just like didn't refu- I refused to talk about it. And that is just not a really good, that's not a very good life strategy. It's not a good parenting strategy, yeah. not a great life strategy. It's like, oh, I just don't feel like talking about that. Avoiding um, conversation, never <laughs> a good strategy. Yeah, so, so anyway. So noted. So noted. Okay, so, but um, all is well now. Um, yes. And the, the, the two grandmothers have not, uh, have not said anything about it, which I appreciate. So gold yeah, star for and them. And I do recommend <laughs> listening to her podcast about it because it's very interesting <laughs> from her point of view. Yeah. Um, so what's your gold star? Okay, great. My gold star, uh, well, I have to set it up by saying, I don't know if I've mentioned that Adam has been going to a parent mindfulness class at Jack's school. Ooh. And I hadn't been able to go because of my schedule, um, but now I could go with him at, on Tuesday mornings, uh, which has been really great. It's a great class, um, and it's a great way to also meet you know other parents that we don't know, and it's all from all ages. So there's high school parents there and everything, so that's fun. Um, the other day, we were doing this exercise. They're called dyads, um, which I'm sure a lot of people know about, where you do these one-on-one exercises with a partner. And I was this, this, with this woman named Michelle, who I never met before. And the exercise was to talk for two, I think it was two or two and a half minutes about your parenting edge, which is sort of what you're doing, you feel you're doing well as a parent and what you're having struggles with as a parent. And uh, the other person just listens. They're not allowed to say anything. They just listen. Mm. And I started talking and Michelle was listening and I started, I have to say, I started bawling almost immediately, which I think isn't that uncommon because it's just a release. Uh, It wasn't even that I was so, you know, sad about something. It's just that it's very emotional to talk about your kid, you know? And, um, but Michelle had the warmest, most empathetic gaze. I mean, I didn't know like you, that your gaze could just say so much, but she just listened in such a way that I felt, I didn't feel stupid for crying and I felt listened to, and I felt like this was a great moment instead of being a really embarrassing moment. Um, and it was really because of her warm, empathetic gaze, which is what I want to give a gold star to is Michelle and her um, and her empathetic gaze. <laughs> and afterwards, she gave me a hug. And it was just really nice. Um, not that I want to cry every mindfulness class, but, you know, it, it was just it was a moment um, of connection. And I appreciated her. Uh, so that's my gold star. And was she a teacher or she was just another parent that was taking the class? Just another parent. Uh, yeah. Now I did see, realize afterward that she's a life coach, which makes perfect sense. Um, cause I think probably a lot of people respond to her the way I did, which is she's a very easy person to open up to. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, so yeah, she's just another parent of, uh, you know, of a student who wants to be mindful. Oh, well, great gold star. There's like being a, being a powerful listener is hard and rare. Yes. It seems like. It's a great lesson. I mean, I really recommend just doing these little exercises because, um, there's nothing. It's also really nice to listen to people, mm. just listen and not tr- be trying to think of how to respond. So it's a great exercise on both sides. We should try it on the show sometime. Just like one of us talk. (laughs) We should. (laughs) 
Well, that's it for this episode of Happier. Uh, remember to try this at home. Ask for a favor. Let us know, what did you try? Did you ask for a favor? Did you feel like you helped to make a friend? Thanks to our producer, Henry Malofsky. Also, thanks to uh, Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. Uh, Gretch, we also want to give a special shout out this week to Nick Kwa, whose last day was Friday at Panoply. Um, he's the master of all things uh, podcast, uh-huh. and we will miss him. Unfortunately for us, we can follow all of Nick's future adventures because he has a great newsletter about podcasts called Hot Pod, which you can find at hotpod.xyz. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at gretchenrubin.com. And here we're going to ask you for a favor, okay? Here's the favor we're going to ask from you. If you like the show, tell a friend and... If they don't know how to subscribe to a podcast, help them subscribe to a podcast because it's easy, but a lot of people don't know how to do it. And if you do like the show, subscribe to us on iTunes. It really does help us. If you uh, talk about the show, if you subscribe to the show, or or if you rate and review us on iTunes because it helps other listeners find stuff that they're interested in listening. The thing is, we see you guys doing it, and we know it works. It really helps. So thank you for that favor. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.